I mean, you, you've been to Berlin. You you know it better than I do in, in many ways. Um, but since reunification, it seems to me that Berlin is just one big construction site and it's it's a lovely city there are lots of different um sort of cultural sides to it i mean it's uh, i don't know what kind of shape you'd call berlin because it has a hundred corners um but everywhere you go there is construction going on everywhere that was uh really revealing when i came back after the wall had fallen down um my ex-husband and myself we had uh, written a berlin book Uh, I had done an American version and he had done the German version. So I knew Berlin pretty well. But the strange thing is I lost my way after the wall had fallen down because I was still going the way I was supposed to while the wall was still up. But coming back, um, I had seen so many cranes and construction sites And uh, as I hear you, uh, they must have simply kept on constructing because I was I was flabbergasted when when I saw what what they were tearing up and tearing down. Yeah, I mean, you must have seen clearly Potsdamer Platz. You must have seen where they built uh, Hauptbahnhof um, uh, near the Kanzleramt. As in, with my students at Deutsche Bahn, um, the the sheer amount of work that went into creating, recreating infrastructure and building these this new, as it were, identity for Berlin was a huge effort, and it's not finished. It won't ever finish. Um, Have you ever read uh, um, Berlin Alexanderplatz by Dublin? No, I haven't. Please tell Please me about do. it. Okay. Please do. Mm. It's the cacophony uh, that you have now in its first form. And it's uh, it seems orderly now from mm. what it was then in the 20s. Okay. Dublin, you say the name of the author? Uh, Alfred Dublin. Dublin. He was sorry. one of the exiles. And... Um, it's the basically it's the first r- novel on Berlin that really keeps uh, you keep in mind because it is um, it paints a picture of Berlin. Uh, you feel it, you uh, taste it, you uh, smell it, you hear it, and the the whole picture is coming at you when you read the book. Mm. There's also a film by. Uh, the famous uh, German uh, filmmaker who died. What's it, the famous who, whose name I f- should know, and I, it will come in a while. Hmm. Um, he also made a film of it, and I think they're in the process of making another film of it, of the book. Okay. Berlin Alexanderplatz. I see. Okay. Yeah. They've. I mean, there are this uh, this series of books called uh, Babylon Berlin, which they've also turned into um, a TV, a very successful TV series. Yes. There's. Uh, there are so many uh, coming out uh, all about Berlin. There's. So, there's a certain mysticism about Berlin. There is, the, the the continuous change. You know, since the 20s is 1920s. Now it's 100 years later. I keep forgetting. Since the 1920s. 
um, this continuous change, this social upheaval, this um, political revolution, the then the years of, of obviously destruction uh, for on the one hand of society through the Nazis, then thereafter the bombing, then the the rebuilding and the recreating, and it is it, fascinating. Um, and you know, I don't know many cities, if there indeed there are any other that have quite had the same history as Berlin. I'm sure that there are uh, similar uh, cities with just as many upheavals and uh, experiences, bad and good and indifferent. Uh, but of course, Berlin is, is close to our hearts and uh, we feel it. We feel what is going on in Berlin. We don't feel what is going on in Paris because we're removed from it. And from the outside, you really can't feel it. I'm still close enough through also the, uh, I think I've, I've read 100 books on Berlin for, for our book. Um, I'm still close enough even to modern Berlin because um, we had a international pen conference in Berlin in 2006 and I was on the uh, planning committee so I was in and out of Berlin all the time so I saw uh, the development until about 2006 2007 and um, I can still feel uh, hear and feel the vibrations of what is going on in Berlin yeah, and it's uh, I mean it's a story which continues to develop, and of course you know at, at the moment in the um, the Kanzleramt, obviously Mrs. Merkel has uh, sort of reigned supreme for the last 16 years, um, and then uh, as of September there's going to be a new, um, shall we say, temporary custodian, um, and we shall wait with uh, anticipation to see who that will be. Um, but uh, yeah, before we reach that, we ourselves have the, the, the story that is um, Penn International before us. So when we sort of came to a conclusion of the previous session, um, you had told us about how your, your work in um, Penn Germany had begun. Um, and we ended it in a way which would lead us naturally towards Penn International, which will also include, I guess, this conference in Berlin that you uh, were part of the planning committee for in 2006, which coincided with the German World Cup, which was also a huge success. Yes. Um, yes, I wanted to go back to uh, my beginnings as uh, president of International Penn Writers and Prison Committees, because that recaps, again, what International Penn is doing and what its committees all around the world are doing. Um, everybody who works for international or national pen um, centers who is not employed as in the offices is doing volunteer work. So all of that work that really pulls together in the end is um, free and volunteer and with with your brain and your heart. 
I always said, I take whatever happens to my colleagues personally, but I do what I can professionally to alleviate it. Um, International Pen has one main goal, and to me that was very important, um, not to endanger the reputation or the lives of the people we stepped out to help. And that was sometimes uh, not very easy because you deal with um, opponents, you deal with all kinds of people and all kinds of organizations who do not really think in terms of protecting the charges that you, they have. Um, I'd already talked about the rapid actions. Um, those were the main uh, means of getting to the public. These, these were letters of protest, uh, letters uh, of appeal to governments, to um, legal departments, to embassies, to um, anybody who would listen, anybody who would help, and anybody who would spread the uh, information on the writers these rapid actions uh, were to uh, talking about. Um, in very few instances were we able to really contact the, the families of our charges, of those who were uh, pressured and were threatened with death or with uh, imprisonment. But um, of course, whenever we did, we tried to help not just psychologically to tell them that we were behind and were working for their family member, but also to see whether we could, through some bit of money, help them uh, make life easier for them. Um, we had constant... Um, Constant conferences. We had uh, a huge Writers in Prison conference every two years. One was in Istanbul, uh, one of the most important, to me, the most important ones. Um, one in Glasgow. Um, in Istanbul, of course, we were right in the middle of a country where things were happening to uh, to our friends and to uh, uh, threatened with with torture, with with uh, prison, with um, campaigns against them, with uh, physical assaults, and we had talked about the the fate of Hunting and Oran Pamuk was in front of. Uh, the courts as well, Penn individual centers around the world were able to adopt um, writers who were under pressure and under da in danger, uh, adopt them as honorary members so that um, that particular Penn center or those particular Penn centers would get together and try anything they could to help those people. And uh, sometimes 
because it was a joint venture, it was more effective than individual uh, centers doing individual things. Uh, the setup in London was that we had a, um, as I mentioned her a couple of times, wonderful director of the International Pen Writers and Prison Committee. We had fantastic researchers. If you think that four or five people do the research around the world for maybe um, 200 active cases every year, it's fascinating to see how they do it and with what um, verve and love they continue to do their research which then is spread to the individual pen centers. The um, other work is um, campaigns for individual people beyond the uh, the uh, protests and um, we had international campaigns and special um, invitations during congresses or international writers and prison conferences to people we had tried to help and who had gotten out of prison. So we had direct contact to many of those who had been in prison and who um, aligned themselves with our work for the, for the rest of their existence, I should think. Um, that was that happened in Mexico with um, Galliano. This is this happened in in uh, Turkey with a number of people. Um, so we were constantly under on the way to some place um, to get together. We knew one another. We trusted one another. Um, during those writers in prison conferences, every two years, there were maybe oh, 100, 120 people who had worked for writers in prison, and we exchanged ideas, and we um, taught each other what they didn't know. They taught us what we didn't know. We heard how they went about it, where they got the money to do what they needed to do. Uh, it was very, very helpful to have these conferences. Plus, we were seeing each other once a year internationally uh, during the Penn International Congresses, which were held in different countries and different towns every year. So um, there was a very close link between those who were working for writers in prison and for international pen in general. So it was a it was a family affair in a way, but it was very serious and very professional, I must say. So in um, cases where we had special topics to campaign for, this was one of the topics was impunity, uh, which of course was very heavy in Mexico. Nobody uh, was brought to justice who had killed somebody. Um, the government didn't have the power to go against the uh, drug barons and so on and so forth. So impunity became a very big problem worldwide, um, not just in Mexico, but wherever. There was um, campaigns 
about um, libel and slander. And this again brings us back to Turkey because they had in their uh, penal code, um, I think five or six laws against um, libel. You could libel uh, the flag, you could libel the uh, memory of um, uh, founder of, of uh, Atatürk. Turkey, uh, Atatürk. Atatürk. Uh, you could uh, slander uh, the present president, uh, what, whatever, you could be brought to uh, court on slandering anybody and everything. And this became very dangerous because that was, was one of the main uh, accusations against writers. When they were writing the truth, uh, campaigning against um, corruption and so on, this was always turned into uh, a trial for slander or libel. And those were, of course, then the thematic campaigns that we did. And on top of that, uh, we always had quite a number, of, where, where possible, we had quite a number of observers at uh, trials, particularly in Turkey. Um, of course, you couldn't get uh, an observer into uh, China or into Vietnam or into African countries. So uh, the big example is Turkey. We had uh, major observers in every, almost every one of the trials. And in Russia as well, um, we had one Russian member of Penn who traveled the country if there was somebody in front of the courts. That was another uh, major effort in showing the world that we were there and we were watching. Can I ask why it was possible that uh, Penn could have representation in Turkey and I, I guess yeah, Russia, but not in Africa and not in China? Is, is there a reason? Was it a funding issue or was it a, a politically exclusive issue? Uh, it was an exclusive issue. No, no Chinese court would let a foreign observer in, into the country, let alone into the courtroom. And we were in the courtrooms. Um, Africa was another uh, problem. The court action in Africa is um, not as vocal and not as visible as the court action in other countries. Plus, that would have really, really been hard on anybody's purse to fly to, uh, to Africa and uh, observe every court trial there. Um, I remember most, most importantly, it was Russia and, and Turkey. And we have still one of my, one of our friends, my predecessor as writers in prison, uh, committee chair of International Pen. He lives in Turkey and he observes everything that is going on, and he's very close to the um, to the activists uh, in Turkey. He knows them all. He's friends with all, 
and uh, we get the clearest information through him from Turkey and the link between uh, Sarah Wyatt, who was our specialist on Turkey from the Writers in Prison Committee and my uh, predecessor, the link is still existing. So um, there's still most direct information on the Turkish side in London. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it is fascinating because, I mean, you're talking about conditions which uh, existed at the beginning of the twenty-first century, but also in your previous uh, sort of discussions and arguments, you've mentioned that you know issues within Turkey with regards to the, you know, the freedom of the press. Um, and you know various other freedoms in Turkey have been problems for many, many, many years, and we see the same thing repeating itself today uh, with with Erdogan, who continues to exhibit these nationalistic right wing fanaticism, um, which in some ways hides the fact that he is also and his friends and his family are benefiting financially. Um, but he of hides course. all of that with everything else that he does. And still he, as in, um, you know, he personally benefits from the position that he, he holds. And yet he considers everybody else who is against him to be an enemy of the state. Uh, we have to remember that there once was an Ottoman Empire and where there was an empire, there were leaders or uh, pashas or sultans or whatever uh, who went out into the world and um, fought against other countries and conquered other countries. And it took a long while for the Ottoman Empire to be held to task. Um, the Modern Turkey started with Kemal Atatürk, uh, which was a new start, but at the same time, it also generated what we see in England sometimes, that when you lose an empire, you become very, very defensive of your former status. And um, the division in, in Turkey uh, is between the military the traditionalists, the um, the uh, those who would like uh, Kemal Atatürk back again, who want he would had a uh, secular Turkey in mind, the modern uh, leader or would be Pasha uh, has an Islamic. Uh, Turkey in mind. So you have the religious, you have the political, and you have the historical aspects that play together. And that makes it uh, very difficult to predict what will happen in Turkey. Yeah, I mean, we can come back to the, the Turkish issue a bit, a bit later, because, okay, tomorrow is the uh, 24th of April. 
uh, which for you know, Armenians is a significant date. So um, yes. we can we can come back to that a bit later. But um, so getting back to your work within International Pen, um, there's a lot of how can I say it? There is a lot of background paperwork, a lot of documentation, a lot of research that goes on to be able to do what you do, it seems to me. It's not simply a, a romantic adventure, is it? Sort of jumping of out not. into the world and saving people. Of course not. Um, while I was um, vice president in charge of writers in prison for German pen, there was a lot of paperwork because uh, I was giving um, uh, talks about the state of writers in prison at least six times a year. Uh, the two uh, book fairs in Leipzig and Frankfurt, we always had a report and this was uh, presented to the press um, the, uh, the day of uh, the persecuted writer on the 14th of uh, November um, and the Keston Medal uh, um, ceremony. Um, was it an occasion to uh, for me to give another report um, for the International Pen Congress and for the National Pen Congress was another uh, occasion to sit down and write a six, seven page researched report on what the situation was. Um, the every letter in with regard to German pen, of course, I had to write myself. And um, when I became international chair, um, I had an office in London and wonderful people who um, did a lot of work, particularly in terms of the documentation and the letter writing and so on and so forth. They prepared the conferences. I only um, chaired the conferences. I chaired the, uh, the international conference. I chaired the international writers and prison conferences. Um, I was there at their disposal. So I was in London, in and out of London all the time. Um, but that bound us together as well. I knew them very well. I knew them. I knew every move that was going on in, in London and uh, they knew me. So there was total trust. And I knew if they asked me to sign a letter, of course, I signed. There was no question. So it was less day to day work. But at the same time, of course, I had to stay on top of uh, international developments because I couldn't stand there and say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about Myanmar or I don't know anything about Turkey or I know nothing about uh, Mexico or Peru or whatever. Um, so I had to stay in touch with what was going on in the world. And uh, that, of course, uh, in a way stayed with me to some degree till today. But at the end of 2009, 
um, I decided I have to st- I have to stop getting involved everywhere. So I was at the point where I was having regular heart trouble, and I had promised myself at 70 I'm going to stop. So I'm as I said I'm still very very interested in what is going on in the world, but I'm not as informed as I was then. And I was informed because I informed myself and I was informed because I was being informed by my friends in London. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, it requires a serious level of fortitude to be able to look into the very dark soul that is humanity um, and try to find sense in some of the the things that occur. I mean, I remember when I was sort of doing up to do some reading for you know a project that I was working on personally, I, I delved very deeply into the excesses of government. And after about three days of just intensive research, I, uh, I felt numb almost. My head was almost exploding from uh, you know, the amount of um, the depravity sometimes yes. of some of the decisions that were taken by governments, by you know governments that considered themselves to be you know democracies, you know pillars of democracy, uh, and uh, you know with the one hand, and on the other hand, um, the crimes and atrocities that were committed in the name of freedom um, were mind-numbingly difficult to accept. So I had to take a break. And I mean, for you to be able to be so involved at the same time and continue the way that you did for such a long time was almost heroic, I imagine. No, no. Um, I had the benefit and the privilege of being part of a committee. The International Committee, meaning Centre in London, and the uh, 100 pen centers with writers and prison committees around the world, we worked together, we supported one another, we went through the same thing at the same time. And of course, it, it you can't stop thinking about the depravity, the, the violence, uh, the injustice, but we were trying to help individual people. And there were so many instances where in a very, very small way we could help, as I said, together with other organizations or very, very rarely only in pen. Uh, that made up for everything. Whenever there's a bit of a positive outcome, the negative didn't stay with me. I had registered it, it became an analytical knowledge, but it didn't stay an emotional knowledge. So in a way, I um, I was uh, I was also very, very fortunate that at the same time I was working uh, as uh, on the first on the board and later on the uh, council of the Heinrich Böll House because there we were in constant contu- in constant touch with uh, people who were hunted, who had been uh, tortured, who were afraid of death, who um, didn't know where to go, and those 
personal meetings with somebody from Syria, for instance, who had been in prison for 14 years. And he came uh, on a scholarship to the Heinrich Böll House. And we met, he knew, I knew what he had been through. He came with his uh, girlfriend and the three of us sat down and we had a coffee and something to eat before I dropped them at the Böll House. Um, all of a sudden it was, oh, I'm meeting my brother and my sister. It becomes that personal because um, you get to know people who have suffered, who have withstood, who are trustworthy and who did were not destroyed. Of course, we had a lot of people who were destroyed. There we could only help with with the help of others. But the, the meetings with um, our friends who came into uh, scholarships, um, not just at the Bell House, but also later we might talk about writers in exile. We had a system in German pen later uh, where we had six cities of refuge in Germany. And I was in charge of the place here in Cologne. So I got to meet and work for whoever got the scholarship for Cologne. And these meetings um, make it very, very clear that um, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. Whatever the others do in the background, the politicians, the 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 torturers, the the guards in in Evin uh, prison in in Tehran, um, you can withstand. You are helping to withstand, and they help those who have been there help you to withstand and to really um, deal with the emotions, but keep them under control. As I said, I take the I took these things personally, but I had to deal with them professionally. To deal with them personally, on a personal level, on an emotional level, within myself. I mean, of course, I, I dealt with them when I met them on on an emotional level as well. But to deal with them inside my own being on the emotional level, would have killed me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm currently working with uh, an organization with regards to their uh, to the workshops. We're doing workshops on anti-discrimination. And what I take from your words here is um, to essentially you know, focus on the positives of the successes and do not allow the, the, the sea of hate that exists around us uh, to sort of pull us down, um, because the small successes that uh, you know, organizations uh, uh, experience are like the, the, the sort of the, the timbers of a, of a ship that help you to, to survive in the ocean. Yeah, um, hate yeah. and um, hate and uh, uh, violence take away your strength. If you if you keep those as your only perspective. They not just kill you, but they they uh, strain you. They take all the energy that you have or might have on the positive side away from you. 
And I don't know, I uh, must have done the right thing at one point. From the beginning, I was able to not separate emotion from from intellect, but um, to deal with it uh, without suffering myself. Yeah, I, I can only applaud uh, because uh, you know even again before when I, I mentioned my I complimented your work, you you refused to accept compliments of a certain nature, and you you um, you delegate such uh, compliments to the people who really suffered, and you uh, pass on appreciation of a of a very warm nature to the people who worked with you. Um, and I, I only hope, Karin, that um, in many, many uh, pages of your writings that you have recorded your suggestions for management techniques, um, because people who are uh, considering management positions would do very well to learn uh, from the way in which you have approached your responsibilities. Um, as far as management um was concerned, um, Sarah Wyatt taught me. She had um, courses in management and she was uh, doing, as I said, wonderful. I've never met anybody who was that professional in in her job. And um, I started very early to copy the way she did it. But our our involvement was different. In uh, in the time I during the time I was working for International Pen because she was there responsible for everything in in the London office um, and I was on the outside coming in uh, pumping her for information she had a lot of uh, preparations done when I came I had my uh, Congress folders uh, presented to me before I got into the first meeting. I didn't have to do that. She did that. So that was management. Um, I wasn't managing. I wasn't managing. I was uh, trying to to be rational about how do I go about it. I didn't just jump in because jumping in to anything is a risk if you jump into something look around right away and make clear where you are and probably i jumped in and i looked around and i found a lot of things i could learn from yeah um i, I mean there are lots of i don't want to completely take away from uh, the conversation of international pen and to be honest i'm more than happy to come back on many many occasions and you know continue the, t the conversation about international pen and um, but as we talk you know you you say such um you know crucial things which always bring to mind different elements and i do like to connect our discussions with what we are experiencing in the present day um, a number of organizations over the last few years, which are organizations engaged in alleviating human pain, human rights organizations, um, in many cases, perhaps even um, rescue uh, organizations, have suffered from abuse of their own 
where representatives in other areas which don't necessarily receive so much media attention have engaged in activities which one would only consider to be discriminatory in nature. There have also been accusations internally of discrimination. Um, how were things at Penn? So, I mean, it's an international organization. You're on the front line in many ways. How was it there? What was the was there anything like that? Um, we couldn't help everybody. We, with that small staff, we had to go where the punches were. We couldn't wait for somebody who was maybe um, more deserving. We helped where we could help. And the only caveat was um, they were not supposed to have advocated violence or been involved in violence. And apart from that, there was no party, there was no background, that uh, no no charge that kept us from helping. The, the whole the whole uh, community of Penn would not deal with anybody who had anything to do with violence. And, and what about in, in the well, in the charter? Okay, um, but what about within your own ranks? Did did people, uh, as in, where did you have your own scandals? Were, were you able to eradicate such behavior quickly? Because other organizations, perhaps because they're larger, uh, perhaps because they operate in areas which are not so prevalent, um, find it difficult to do that. Uh, we were not a station. Uh, we were not um, hierarchical organization in that sense. Uh, the Writers in Prison Committee did what the Writers in Prison Committee needed and wanted to do. Um, we didn't have anything to do and we turned sideways sometimes when there were problems in other departments or in other committees or whatever um, to keep our mind and our effort and our strength in the work that we wanted to do and needed to do what we had been voted in for. Um, of course, there were personality clashes. There were, uh, they were in every center. They were in the international pen as well. Um, some uh, international presidents were closer to our heart than others. Um, but that's that's life. You have to deal with it. Sure. Absolutely. And how, how do you see the uh, the current work of of Penn uh, progressing? Because it, it seems that there are um, there is as much work to do now as perhaps there ever was during the Cold War and in the years since. Um, we have a very very good and very active uh, president. A woman president. Uh, she is also on the board of International Pen, and that combination of Pen president in a local center and uh, involvement in International Pen, to me, is actually what should be uh, required from everybody who is uh, working for Pen, because you get both sides, and you can. Um, 
get involved in a lot of lot more things and from a different perspective than uh, just sitting uh, in let's say in in Holland and um, go to Dutch uh, gatherings of writers. Um, the Dutch are better than the Germans in that sense. They are more open because they're a smaller country, uh, which is uh, an aside. Um, the provinciality of some pen centers depends on the provinciality of the countries that uh, they live in. And uh, in, in many ways, the involvement in international pen was really, it was easier for me than, and less work um, than working for German pen, which was a 80, 90 hour job in, uh, not just in the beginning, but throughout. And of course, nobody knew it because I, I had my corner and they saw my reports and um, I wasn't I wasn't involved in the rest of Penn, um, which made it difficult later when um, the board or some people in the on the board wanted to be part of or tell me how to run writers in prison. And what they sometimes did was they ran with my report and presented it as their own. Um, I swallowed it. As long as it got into the press, I didn't care. I did not care. I wasn't yeah. in there for myself. It's not caring who was important. It was the work that was important. And that was the guideline I never I never crossed. Yeah, your your selflessness, I think It's um, not selflessness, it's it's sanity. <laughs> it's sanity. It, uh, yeah, you, you say it's sanity, uh, but it is still, I, I would beg to differ with complete respect um, that you do approach these things with a certain degree of selflessness. Now, that's because of your sincere, sincerity in the tasks that you do. Um, but there is no reason on this planet why somebody from a similar organization should take credit for your work if indeed no degree of selflessness was involved. Um, but it, you know, it, was, it, it still got to where it was supposed to go. It got it got in the ears of the press. <laughs> yeah. You know, whether I do it or whether somebody else does it, this is the way uh, we worked. Um, most of us worked because uh, we knew that the only way we could help was to get it into the press. And German press, for instance, would. Um, was very, very cagey sometimes and didn't bring very much about Penn. Um, Amnesty had much more of, of a presence in the German public mind and still has. But in lately, the uh, the reputation of Penn has, has increased here in Germany too. So of that, I'm very, very happy. Yeah, I, I wish there were more people who approach these kinds of topics uh, who were similar to you in their approach. 
Um, I know you wanted to talk a bit more about um, writers uh, in prison um, and the the committee there. May I kindly request that we do so uh, next week because we we are approaching that one hour point, and, and I wanted to um, you know introduce the element of the the Armenian genocide, which. Um, a lot of my friends and relatives around the world are really hoping that uh, President Biden finally does what a U.S. president had always promised but never delivered upon, and, and that is to recognize the events in uh, which began on April 24th, 1915 as genocide. Um, and I mean, many people probably wouldn't know why it's April 24th that is commemorated. And this is actually is quite um, uh, interesting from the perspective of what Penn represents. It's because uh, the Ottoman government in 1915 decided to kill or hang lots or 300, I should say, Armenian writers, poets, thinkers, um, and essentially community leaders because uh, they thought that by doing this, they would remove the the head uh, of Armenian culture and thereby the strength uh, of the of what it meant to be an Armenian. And in itself, this serves to prove yet again the great importance of the writer, the mind, the thoughts, the pen, as it were. That's why writers are in danger, and they are the, the those who open their mouth are the first in danger when there is a, a dictator on top. Yeah, absolutely. And in, as far as as the Armenian question is concerned, uh, within German exile, one of the more famous uh, writers who later lived in Italy was Armin T. Wegener, who is very, very beloved by a lot of Armenians because he stood up. He was the one who wrote uh, a letter to Wilson, President Wilson in America, uh, referring to the Armenian genocide. So um, we in German exile, we're not, I'm, I'm still a member of German exile, Penn. I'm in both uh, pens now. Um, so Anybody who was in our pen at the same time, of course, is very close to our heart. And um, this is why I know a bit about the whole process, the whole genocide, um, the surroundings. The this We are talking about uh, the uh, right after the Second World War and uh, the the European forces were just uh, realigning. And in that sense, uh, the Armenian question got sidetracked. Yeah. Till today, to some degree. But we'll talk about that later. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We shall do so indeed. Um, yeah, Karin, what can I say? I, I started today with a, a workshop about um, anti-discrimination and I, uh, I felt this, you know, whenever I talk about these kinds of topics, I, I feel a deep connection with the people with whom I communicate because when you have people who are genuinely like-minded and they want to do good, 
Um, and sometimes the, the, the questions arise, you know, how can we make a change? Um, I, I feel on occasion a little bit despondent because I wish I had the power to provide immediate change. And that will never happen, would it? Um, it you know, will never happen. No. Uh, Everything, every change is slow. And to me, the Sisyphus myth is very close to my heart, and not just to my heart, also to my mind. We have to stem against whatever comes. It will try to overrule us, but we shouldn't let up and in fighting. And this is this is still my philosophy. And it, the changes will be very slow, and they will roll back. We will have rollbacks over and over again. Look at history. Look at the changes in history. Some were pretty, some changes were very fast, particularly if uh, an empire fell. That was very quick, usually. The building on, of an empire was relatively slow. Um, that's politics on the larger level. Politics on the smaller level is um, the community. What happens in a community if the politics go wrong? Uh, where are the voices? And the voices to this day are the journalists and writers. And this is why they are under, under barrage or wherever they go. And this is why I think it's so important that we have the right to, to freedom of expression, the right to freedom to publish, to right to stand up and say, say our mind. And this is what I was been, had, had been working for. That was the only reason I was in that, in that whole, in that whole fight. And I still am in a way, wherever I can. Yeah, Karin, I yeah, you'll have to forgive me for considering you an inspiration, um, and I know you will deflect the compliment, um, and yet you, but you remain to be, no matter how much you you deflect it, and that's just a fact, and you can't erase it, uh, especially as I'm in charge of the editing, um, so I will. <laughs> um, okay, I won't. I I won't say anything. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. But um, yeah, I am. Yeah, afterwards we'll we'll arrange when to uh, come back and continue the the talks that we have begun. Um, all I can say is thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure as always, um, and your input and insight is always fascinating and illuminating. And I never know what comes out in terms of questions on your side or comments <laughs> on your side. So <laughs> sorry. I'm I'm no, 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 no. Um, this is why I'm uh, relatively spontaneous. It's not that I've been preparing for our talks uh, recently, but just a few uh, dates I put down. But um, I find it fascinating to have this level of conversation with two people from different angles approaching the same subject and in a way saying the same thing in different ways.
and for that I'm very thankful. It's a it's a pleasure, um, and yeah, long may it continue is all I have to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, Karin, thank you, and yeah, I wish you a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too, and uh, give my love to your family. <laughs>